Yael Asowski, of course, uh, so willing to adapt and adjust with the times, which is why we welcome our friends from the Consumer Choice Center to our airwaves uh, on a Thursday in the prime time slot, Yael, 8 a.m. You better make uh, the commentary good because uh, we've got more ears than ever tuned in to you today. And I guess uh, we should welcome you in with uh, this tune. Because, uh, you know, obviously yesterday you were giving a little testimony to what what we would call the General Assembly of France. And what were you talking about? Oh, we were talking about cannabis, Joe. The Holy Leaf. Yael hanging with the bone thugs yesterday, the weed man. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's a couple other people who actually have that moniker uh, better than me, but uh, definitely was fun to uh, contribute to the policy conversations. France is in, in talks to try to legalize cannabis, and we're really trying to uh, push them and advocate for consumer-friendly policies, market-friendly policies. Uh, I think uh, it was fun, and uh, definitely they love to hear my, my French-Canadian accent, and uh, I think we, we had a good time with the Frenchies. So tell me, you know, when we talk about consumer-friendly policies here, of course, you know, many staunchly conservative uh, tuned into the program here this morning who are, uh, you know, hell-bent against any type of legalization of drugs, cannabis being one of those drugs, you know, maybe not going as far as the state of Washington where we've decriminalized pretty much every illicit substance known to man. Uh, We're talking about weed, uh, marijuana. Uh, the Swedish Chiba, uh, give us a, a little info as to what a consumer-friendly uh, policy would look like in the country of Yael if, in fact, uh, cannabis uh, were fruitful and uh, plentiful. Yeah, and Yaelistan is a very free place, Freedomville, we call it. Uh, but when it comes down to smart cannabis policy, a lot of it is actually already in place for so many other products that we know uh, for Alcohol, uh, definitely we see that uh, for a lot of different innovative new products that are coming out onto the market like CBD, uh, which is a variant of cannabis. It does not contain THC, which is uh, the actual part that will give you that intoxicating feeling. So all we're trying to do in advocating is to say, look, we want a smart policy that allows entrepreneurship. So that's actually allow businesses to rise up. Because in many areas where cannabis is already legal in places like Canada or Uruguay, it's state monopolies. It's essentially the North Carolina, you know, ABC store for your cannabis. And we're just trying to avoid that. I think the arguments for making cannabis uh, something that will be treated more as a uh, just a normal product and uh, those who might be addicted or might have problems as mental health problems, I think is necessary. I have many friends who are in law enforcement, both in North and South Carolina, and when 60% of what they're dealing with on a daily basis has to do with just cannabis possession and nothing else, that detracts from their job. It means they can't attend to other calls. People are less safe. Our kind of position for the last couple of years, and we've made this point in various countries now, in various U.S. states, is, look, let's just have smart policies that allow a market to exist. We can get rid of the black market. We can get rid of uh, the mafiosos of your day, Joe, or uh, the the cartels uh, from Mexico who have controlled a lot of this trade over the last couple of years. So allow entrepreneurship, allow to have good amount of safety and security measures that we believe entrepreneurs uh, can put into place. So there's a lot of differences uh, definitely between states. 
I don't know about North Carolina. I've been pushing North Carolina for some time. It might take a while, uh, but you never know. We do need money every now and then. So we don't uh, even have. Uh, yeah, yeah, we don't even have medical, uh, right? Medical marijuana. No, no, no medical. And uh, you know, you barely have the ability to buy your own booze at the store, guys. So uh, believe me, there's there are many things that we're trying to change when it comes to consumer choice in North Carolina and beyond. You want to start an insurrection, uh, Yael, that's a, a, a popular word uh, today and yesterday. You want to start an insurrection, yeah, t- cut off the booze. <laughs> you want to see yeah, Well, ABC we'll have, stuff. yeah, Whiskey Rebellion Part 2. Uh, if we're repeating history so much lately, we might as well jump on that bandwagon too, 1700s. I'm not going to lie, Yael, you know, south of the border as you cross, uh, you know, the state line into South Carolina, uh, I was seriously entertaining. In fact, I did buy a case of beer on my way back uh, from the freedom-loving state of Florida on New Year's Eve because I didn't know if you could purchase one uh, after the curfew was in in, in effect uh, here in our state. So I got one last taste of freedom before coming to North Carolina, had to buy that case of beer at south of the border. In fact, if you look up the history of South of the Border and why it was, in fact, created, it was created just to, for that reason. So people in North Carolina could go get uh, their uh, grandpa's hooch uh, before coming back uh, to across the state line because of the prohibition days, I believe. Uh, no, or something around that. Uh, some talk about that. I believe that was the purpose of that l- landmark on I-95. Well, yes, and it's very similar to uh, out near the Charlotte area. You know, you take in 77, people go to South Carolina, they got cheaper gas, you can buy fireworks. I mean, this is this is what uh, nice little state boundaries give us, is that ability to choose. And, and when we live close enough to that, we can actually get around some ridiculous laws that might exist in our area. So I love that, and specifically North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, big differences in some ways. Uh, some things are very similar, but I definitely love hopping back and forth. And I, I know you might disagree, Joe, but I think South Carolina has one of the most beautiful flags in the Union. And, uh, well, with that said, as uh, and just one last uh, little tidbit on this uh discussion surrounding, you know, the legalization of uh, marijuana and uh, all that that goes alongside it. In many states and uh, around the world, in in talking with many military veterans, there have been even more and further studies and research with the administering of different sorts of illicit drugs, of course, under a controlled uh, uh, atmosphere at the hest of a medical doctor, but talking about psychedelics and uh, ketamine as uh, being, uh, you know, in proper doses, of course, as a way to well, of course, allow people's guards to go down a little bit and uh, the doctor, the psychiatrist, and this is, I guess, a dangerous practice maybe if it gets in the hands of, a, of an evil person, but uh, it can help open portals in people's brain paths, particularly for those who suffer from PTSD and other types of uh, stress and anxiety uh, to help them reach those places that they've uh, you know put away and in the back, and it helps them uh, progress and allow them to live a more fruitful life. Uh, this is uh, we can say groundbreaking, and I know it's very hesitant. I know there are a lot of people probably saying, man, Joe's gone off his rocker uh, right now. Uh, but this is something that's been on the forefront for quite some time now that is actually starting to gain some mainstream attention. And, and definitely uh, the medical side of psilocybin mushrooms, as you mentioned, really has been very key when it comes to PTSD. And, and you're right with the military troops. They've done a lot of trials, and they've been very successful. And in many cases, you know, this medical research, uh, whether it be with mushrooms or with cannabis, you know, it's still technically illegal in many instances. And that's a huge problem there. 
because there are a lot of medical patients uh, that you know have used things like cannabis or mushrooms uh, to ail their things. So there's a lot there. Uh, if I can speak to all the conservatives who might be very wary when it comes to legalization overall, you know, would you rather have sort of free market reforms that allow competition, or would you rather have a more left-wing model where the government sells you uh, cannabis or anything else, taxes are through the roof, no one's allowed to be an entrepreneur, no one can be a business, uh, I think that's a, a better path to follow. And considering the Democratic majorities we're going to have uh, in Washington, that's a big deal and something we need to push for. All right. And on that note, uh, let's uh, talk about big tech. You and I, since our very first conversation here on the Big Talker, discussed and uh, have followed uh, the happenings of the digital world. And of course, you very well know my thoughts on the, well, how we've been sort of uh, zombified by the social media platforms. Of course, there are values to it. Uh, you and I are conversating right now over a platform uh, with uh, no interruption, and uh, you sound like you're in the door uh, in the room next to me, uh, yet you're on the other side of the world. Uh, so one of the benefits, of course, uh, to this digital age. But when you hear that uh, there are 14 uh, past executives or current executives uh, from some of these major tech firms uh, currently embedded with uh, the incoming administration, does that not make you weary, given the fact that we've got one of the popular sites with conservatives, Parler, getting taken off the Apple platform? You've got the censorship of certain people. You've got kind of a double standard, as some people see it, as far as you know what goes and what doesn't on these platforms, which, of course, are private companies and have their own terms of service and is you know very subjective based on what the Twitter gods and those behind the scenes uh, say and what they say goes. So I get that to an extent. But when we've got, uh, you know, executives ponying up to a new administration, hearing calls from all sides of the aisle that we need to crack down on these companies, uh, this doesn't seem like it's going to end well for the consumer and for uh, that uh, good old uh, term that we use uh, that uh, helps promote capitalism competition in our society. Yeah, and there's definitely a lot of problems that come with the uh, concentration of power, certainly when it comes to politicians and also with many tech firms. I mean, we, we need not really look for any other examples of uh, the past two weeks. Uh, President Trump getting thrown off of all these platforms, even Pinterest. You know, he can't put up bread recipes. He can't do his knitting. Uh, that's sad. Uh, I think for for parlor and, and look i had an account on parlor i didn't use it very much i didn't really like the interface to be quite honest and it was a choice that i made to open an account there and i use other decentralized services and i think everyone should embrace that i think it was a very bad a business decision on amazon's part because they hosted the website i think that was a huge business um failure uh, really and that's something that should be punished in the marketplace. If people want to use decentralized servers and they don't want to use Amazon, they're very free to do so. I mean, I certainly don't use Amazon servers. I've got another company. I use other social media networks. And that's what we need is more competition, more decentralization. Uh, we can put a lot of our eggs in the basket of trying to sue Twitter, Facebook, and everything else. Uh, look, they will make really big mistakes, and we should call them on it. And we should try to improve as best as possible. Uh, but we're also free to create alternatives. I mean, uh, maybe a decade ago, Joe, we've been talking about MySpace right now and how uh, what they're doing is terrible and evil and how dare they. And uh, there's so many other companies that have come and gone that we've forgotten about. And uh, I think in, in due time, many of these companies will be taken over. There'll, there will be competition. There'll be other things coming along. 
Uh, back in the day, you know, it was GeoCities and Yahoo that was uh, taking over most of the net. So I, I think many people out there should not be concerned. Obviously, if many of your posts are being taken down, it's a perfect incentive to start your own server, start a Mastodon server. I started one uh, here a couple weeks ago. I know you're on it, Joe, a couple other friends of the show, uh, some other people. Look, we have it at our disposal if we want to, to break away from many of the companies, uh, much of the centralization. And that's what's still so beautiful about our system. And that's, that's something that uh, hopefully we're going to keep trying to promote. It's never about promoting a company. It's always about promoting consumers and their choice. Because if you're not able to move your profile anywhere, that's where you have the real problem. Well, with that said, I think there's just a, a information gap there. You know, when you bring in language like uh, using somebody's server and what that all entails and what that even means, I think many people just uh, you know get lost in the sauce uh, kind of look on their face when you start getting into the technical terms of what goes on behind the scenes, other than just going to your web browser and typing in a, a website. Uh, uh, through the search engine and it popping up and you just living your life. A lot of people just don't have the knowledge and uh, by no fault of their own in many cases as to, you know, the way this works in the tech world. Yeah, and that's exactly why the big platforms that are huge, you know, Facebook, Twitter and the like, they are big and, and have attracted so many users because they are simple and they're easy to use. And everyone knows someone who has one. So that's the kind of network benefits that exist. And, you know, in due time, that'll continue to change. And for these other things, you know, it doesn't have to be you creating your own server. Just latch on to someone who might know what they're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I tried to do this in my life. You know, there are people who are much more intelligent than me who can do things technologically. And, you know, a lot of times I'll ask for their advice or, you know, they just set up something for me and I use it. And I think, you know, we would be much better off if we did that, a lot of us. And continue to educate ourselves, guys. I mean, uh, the internet has really created all of these platforms. It's something that has just sprawled out of nothing uh, just over a couple of decades. I think we're all the better for it. We should continue to promote social networking and being online and sharing information no matter what. Uh, I mean, that's how this talk radio program is getting out uh, around the world. You know, you have people who are listening, people who are watching on the Facebook page or listening to the stream. I mean, that's the great thing about multimedia and all that different choice. I think there are a lot of gaps when it comes to technology and how we get to the next step, but that's on creators. They need to come up with better platforms that are easier to use. And uh, the easier they are to use, the more people will turn away from the main ones that are probably letting down a lot of their users and consumers too. You know, you want to talk about real censorship at a time when more and more people uh, cannot align with uh, the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, and injecting politics into this conversation, and uh, people are looking for something else. Uh, they're disenfranchised by the two major political parties. You want to talk about real censorship. Uh, well, what about uh, candidates uh, that are involved with lesser-known uh, political uh, affiliates and not getting an opportunity to have their voice heard, say, on a debate stage or, you know, even getting their name put on the ballot because of all of these ridiculous requirements. Uh, that, to me, is censorship uh, that we should all be uh, calling into account uh, when we look uh, for alternatives uh, to uh, the D's and the R's in this game we play. Wow, Joe, you're, you're going from the monopoly to the duopoly of the political parties. I, really, I love it. And I know uh, when I've guest hosted for you, I, I've interviewed uh, Mike Munger, professor of economics at Duke University, who ran as a libertarian in North Carolina. He garnered over 4% of the vote back in 2008. And, you know, I think there are a lot of alternatives there. Parties in our country, it's, it's kind of funny. Parties are very weak 
compared to other countries. In other countries, people have their card of their party and they carry it with them everywhere and it defines everything about them. I think we still have very weak parties in the United States. People are much more attuned to their particular ideology, conservatism, liberalism, whatever it might be. So that actually gives a lot of opportunity to either change the parties, to introduce new ones. I mean, look, if we're the, the, the culture of, of consumer choice, uh, we should apply that to politics as well. It shouldn't just stop right when we go to the, the voting booth. I think we can have a lot more competition there. There's a lot of competent people uh, right here in Wilmington who I know would be great politicians, who would do a great job, uh, whether it be in the State House or in D.C. I think we should encourage a lot more people there. We don't necessarily need to have people who've been in politics forever. Uh, this, that's kind of why our country was created. It's why we have a constitution. It's why we have citizen legislators. We need that knowledge, that local knowledge that people have from different industries uh, to join up and to, to really help move this great American experiment. Hey, let me ask you real quick, uh, in talking about the, the big tech firms, you know, major corporations, it seems those on the political left, uh, they oftentimes are very uh, critical of these one percenters and these billionaires who run these massive companies. Uh, right now, they're awful silent uh, on those evil corporations and the way they're running things, uh, whether you agree or not. But uh, it just seems like there's a little hypocrisy there, maybe a, a bit of a double standard in that. Are they really evil corporations or is it just when it's uh, expedient for you uh, that we can make them evil and pit the rest of uh, you know, our base and society against uh, those billionaires uh, running the world? hypocrisy in politics no cannot be <laughs> yeah. no it's it's very convenient right now for many uh, center left left leaning folks uh, what's happening with many of the social media firms because it's not their accounts being blocked uh, in the past it was you know it was people like Julian Assange and WikiLeaks who at the time were viewed as very left wing uh, they were totally canceled by Visa Mastercard Amazon all the same uh, and at that time, many on the left were decrying what was happening. Now that it's happening to Trump and, and many people who like him, uh, silent, as you say. And uh, that's very telling. And that's why it's important to have principled people uh, who, who might be governing things or, or might be there in the, the chairs of power. Uh, that is very unfortunate. I, I really do hate this whataboutism uh, that comes on. I think there's every reason in the world to detest what's happening, no matter who it's happening to. And I think that's an important principle that all of us should recognize. Everyone wants to score some cheap political points, no doubt, for the moment. But man, especially when it comes to online freedom and internet freedom, considering how much business we do, how much we interact with our friends and family, uh, they're playing a really dangerous game on both sides. Yael, as uh, I let you go with the Consumer Choice Center, what a well-rounded conversation we're having here this morning. Uh, we started the discussion off uh, with uh, the legalization of cannabis and uh, uh, the research and studies being done surrounding uh, uh, the use of LSD and uh, psychedelics, uh, ketamine as a, a way to help uh, in the mental health world. And now we're going to go to uh, sports gambling here. Nothing better than uh, betting and drugs to get you going here on a Thursday morning. We're towards the back end of the weekend, so all the vices are starting to bubble up in my psyche here today, Yael, and you're bringing them out. I've got friends up in the Northeast that live in New York. They have to to drive across a bridge and a river into the state of New Jersey to legally place bets 
uh, through various websites because uh, sports gambling is legal in a state like New Jersey, but illegal in New York. Literally, they pop up their phone and with their location, it shows they're in New Jersey. They can then access an app and place a wager on a game or whatever and then drive back and see how it shakes out. Uh, seems a little ridiculous. And uh, you know, I'm not saying that these aren't things that need to be used in moderation. And you should, if you uh, need help, you should call the Gamblers Anonymous Network. But uh, once again, you're advocating for free and consumer choice uh, and uh, leave it up to the people to be able to m tell right from wrong and have a little moderation in their lives. Uh, less government is what the Consumer Choice Center is all about. More choice. And definitely, we had the Supreme Court. They came down and said, this is three years ago, that states could not restrict online sports gambling and betting. And I was reminded of this when I was just with a friend watching a football game. I was watching the Colts. And I uh, thought I'd get in on some of the action because I kind of knew it's the only game I understand uh, that plays in Europe. And I uh, thought I'd throw a bet and found out I couldn't. I couldn't use any of my addresses. I couldn't because of my location. It can't not legal in Florida, not legal in North Carolina, only New Jersey, sometimes Colorado, depending on the website. So it was impossible. The only way to do it, if you're an American citizen anywhere, is to use some site in the Bahamas or somewhere else where it's outside the U.S. legal system. That's pretty ridiculous. Uh, we're in the 21st century. People are gambling all the time when they go to Vegas. Uh, people are gambling in New Jersey. Uh, if it's so bad uh, that only people in New Jersey can do it, that uh, I, something something there, Joe, is, is a bit strange. So I hope we can uh, focus in the various states. I know New York is thinking about it. Hopefully North Carolina does too. You know, let people bet. Let people gamble. Let people do uh, what they do in, in many other states. I think that's a very good measure for consumer choice. Probably better off putting your credit card there or your debit card involved rather than having, you know, uh, some guy, you know, Vito coming by with a baseball bat to, you know, collect in case you owe something, right? I mean, it, wouldn't this that be true. the w way in which we can, uh, you know, mitigate uh, some of that uh, other stuff that goes on in the black market when the collector comes looking for that white envelope? Yeah, we don't want no loan sharks. Make it legal. It's the same as the uh, the earlier part of the conversation. Put it in the legal market. Put some regulations. Everyone knows what's going on. Be transparent. That's consumer choice all the way, baby. Yael Osowski in the Consumer Choice Center, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice. You can listen into Yael and Dave Clement on the Consumer Choice radio show. It airs on Saturdays at 10 a.m. right here on the Big Talker FM. Yael, thanks for adjusting your schedule this week. We'll get back to regular programming on Friday at 9.30 in the week ahead. Thank you so much, Joe. All the best.